All right, we rolling. Uh, I got my man Mark Meek. Do you want me to call you Mark Meek the second? Like super official? Mark Meek sounds fine. <laughs> Not to be mistaken for a state representative. Yes, congratulations to that. That was tight. Thank you. Yeah, that was. Uh, he worked his butt off and he, he uh, knocked enough doors to get the results. Yeah, that's what's up. I I don't think he was on my ballot. No, nope, he's uh, District Forty. Yeah. So Oregon City, Clackamas, Gladstone. Mm, almost moved to Oregon City, but the house didn't wasn't really that fresh. <laughs> yeah, I like this view, man. <laughs> and you're right by Burgerville. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> man. I, but I wish I, I wish I had cheaper fast food. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie because like, I mean, when you want fast food, I don't know if I want to spend ten bucks a pop. You know, I like the five, the you know, the four. And then your kids eat it and eat like two bites and it goes away. That is true. My, my daughter does. You know, I got to spend money on her to eat, and then she eats like you know, yeah, maybe one fry, and then it's a wrap. <laughs> and that's us. Yeah, yeah. Then we eat it. But uh, why don't you go ahead and explain uh, or tell the people uh, what it is that you do? Sure. So yeah, I'm happy to be here, and uh, Chris, thanks for the invite. No problem. Um, so yeah, when when you were talking about entrepreneurship, I'm in kind of a unique entrepreneurial situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of in a hybrid role where I have a corporate environment and a corporate setting that myself and my wife we actually run our practice and own our business underneath that umbrella. Okay. So um, to start from basics, have you heard of Northwestern Mutual by chance? Um, just. From you. <laughs> Perfect. That's good. That means my branding's at least mediocre. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what it is, is, and, and it's really the same with most financial firms. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm a financial advisor. Okay. So I work with businesses and individuals and specifically retirees. And at the end of the day, I think it's um, hopefully looking forward to demystifying what a financial advisor does today as well. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but the way that we operate our practice we don't have account minimums. Um, you know, we don't have to have a client have to have a certain amount of assets to work with us. We're really in the long-term relationship business. Okay. So at the end of the day, we want to partner with someone in the long term and help them really figure out, hey, let's just sit down and take a couple of minutes, couple of hours, and really get a good sense of where you are today, mm-hmm. and personally, professionally, and financially, and figure out five, ten, fifteen years down the road where you want to be. And our job is to partner and engage and create a plan to get you from point A to point B as quickly and efficiently as possible. Okay. And I, I kind of analogize it with a personal trainer at the end of the day where not only, you know, we're going to give the advice and partner and, you know, bring that motivation. But at the end of the day, the, the real value of a personal trainer is the accountability. Yeah. So that's what our team tries to do is, hey, we're going to be the people that reach out to you at least once a year, force you to pull yourself off the treadmill of life and really sit down and make sure you're still aligning your actions with your intentions uh, in regards to your finances. Okay. So, um, so it's definitely entrepreneurial in the fact that our firm doesn't necessarily have clients already built in that we go service. Okay. So the cool part about what we do is that we get to decide who we want to work with, what kind of demographic, younger, older, business owners. You know what we can even get a little bit more specific of what kind of business owners or what kind of professionals, corporate professionals or entrepreneurs, and based on who we relate the best with mm-hmm. and who we feel most passionate about working with, that's usually where our niche ends up falling, and we just naturally over time will work with that specific group. Okay. That's what's up. So um, I remember seeing you around Western. We yep. actually, I think we had one business class together. Was it accounting? No. Uh, I don't know. 
I took I took both accounting classes. That's when I realized it wasn't my thing. Uh, <laughs> but I think it was intro to business. That's yes, yeah. I remember that in the annex, right? Yeah, and that class really that class didn't even count for nothing. I remember that dude saying, "Yeah, it doesn't count towards your degree." I don't know why. It's a waste of two thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly. But, um, so was that was that was like this kind of career path always your end goal? So it, I was a little bit torn. So I grew up in a really entrepreneurial family. Okay. So my dad. He was in the military for about eight years, mm-hmm. and then when he moved back to Portland, so he was deployed out in uh, Montana, okay. out of the base out there. I was actually born in Montana and lived there for eight months or so, yeah. uh, but I don't remember, so I'm really born and raised Portland, technically. That's what's up. But he uh, he didn't necessarily want to jump right into the corporate world or kind of get a job. He mm-hmm. wanted to do something a little bit different. So he actually, I don't know if you know, um, kind of the Hawthorne area, Okay, yeah. but he bought, well, he didn't buy, he, he leased the space and established what's called Mark's Hawthorne Pub. Okay. And that's currently where the Bar of the God is, the Bar of the Gods is right now. Okay. So I always give him crap because like, man, if you just stuck with that, yeah. the way Portland, <laughs> Portland especially Hawthorne is uh, blowing up, he'd, he'd have quite a an asset there definitely um but he also expanded and uh purchased the mount Tabor theater okay so he uh, and my mom had partnered up and over a few different years had, had built on the mark's Hawthorne pub and then uh bought the mount Tabor and refurbished it got the the cinema up and running so i remember being four or five years old just being at work with my parents playing all the video games yeah. unlimited quarters and you know, having <clears throat> having everything to watch on the TV. Yes, I remember uh, when I was in SEI as a kid. That was like the go-to field trip was the Avalon or the Montevideo Theater. Yeah, yep. that was like the go-to. Like you, you knew you was going there at least twice a year. Like, oh, we're gonna go to the Mount Tabor. But yeah, that, that's tight. I don't know that. I don't know that. That's fresh. Yeah, so that was great. And uh, I just remember watching that and said, "Hey, the, you know, my parents. This is kind of their job. Like, they're yeah. at the time I didn't get it. I was like, well, he's making food and playing movies for people for a living. Like, this is a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he eventually we ended up moving to the suburbs when my brother was born, and they ended up selling those businesses. And again, instead of going into corporate America he decided to start his own real estate practice. So he started from scratch, didn't have any um, connections really, didn't have much experience, and he just kind of hustled his way by dropping by people's businesses, giving their phone calls, and just introducing himself. And kind of over a span of a couple years, made a pretty solid business. And I just remember him being at every single one of my sporting events. He coached me in football. Um, He never missed anything for the family. He always would plan his priorities around his business, but mm-hmm. still had the ability to be successful. Yeah. So after it was really after those two components of, okay, watching as a really young kid, what it's like to own your business. Now at the time, my parents sheltered me from all the, the hard stuff, yeah. but, <laughs> uh, you know, the difficult day to day. But I, I really like that. And then really seeing what being your own boss and having control over your own destiny will do for you. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of that risk reward principle. was always fascinating to me. Yeah. So for me, it was always, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to work for myself and create something that no one else could replicate. Okay. That's what's up. Uh, So after Western, did you go on to get any other kind of um, education? Like, do you have a master's degree? I did. So I actually transferred out of Western Oregon. Um, I had three years there and I transferred to Willamette to finish up. So I got my undergrad in economics. Mm Mm-hmm. But I actually did get my uh, my MBA oh, nice. uh, with the focus in finance. But really, I wasn't passionate about it. The only reason I did it 
was because at Western Oregon I had that redshirt year and I had another year of eligibility. Oh, so nice. I wanted to play football. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so little did I know I was racking up student loan debt just to play some football, but yeah. uh, it actually ended up being the best decision I ever made because mm-hmm. getting exposed to those deep business classes and getting exposed to really being the youngest person in my cohort, um, a lot of people that I was working with or in class with had already been to corporate America and had those jobs, weren't satisfied and were coming back to better themselves. So I was taking some of that from them and, you know, it was hard to appreciate that at the moment Mm -hmm. um, because I was still in party mode, right? Playing football, drinking on the weekends, drinking on the weekdays. (laughs) Doing the college thing. (laughs) Exactly. So (laughs) it was was kind of an interesting time. But again, I just noticed I, I was fascinated with the inner workings of business and how the accounting worked with the finance department, how the operations kept everything running and the human resource. So it was, it was just one of those things that I didn't necessarily like the detail nitty gritty, but mm-hmm. I felt like it helped me become a really good visionary for my business and made sure that I knew what seats needed to be filled okay. and who should fill them and, and really try and be that manager. That's what's up. So, um, what kind of, a like, like, so I've always like a few people talk to me about like seeing like a financial advisor, things like that. Right. I really don't want to because I want them to say, like, God damn, man, you're broke, man. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I don't really want that kind of realization. I, I, I kind of want to be ignorant to that fact. But, um, but like, what kind of stuff do you do, like, on the daily? Like, on the daily? Sure. So let's, uh, let's break it out because there's really three different segments. Okay. So it, it just depends on who I'm meeting with. But one of the big areas of focus for my business is working with business owners. Mm -hmm. So with a lot of stuff going on right now with the new tax code, with a lot of the benefits packages and Oregon saves compliance that's going on out there, not to get too into the weeds, but what I'm finding is a lot of closely held businesses, you know, that are usually family owned one or two owners have 12 to 20 employees. They seem to be the people that are really getting left behind because they're just starting to ramp up where they have a good profit, have good cash flow, and they can start reinvesting in their business. But it also isn't going to be the most effective time to start dumping a bunch of money into benefits. Yeah, you know, like health insurance, four hundred one k, group disability, group life. Um, usually, the the typical corporate benefit or public benefit package that we see a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm really passionate about is working with people and helping them scale people that are business owners and, and creating a customized benefit package depending on what's most important to them. Yeah. So instead of having that cookie cutter approach of saying, Hey, this is all we offer. Are you interested? I'm going to sit down and be like, Hey Chris, tell me about this business. Tell me about the people. What do they think is important? What are they passionate about? And then I'll take that information and recommend scalable benefits and a timeline on which ones might be the most beneficial to implement. Mm-hmm. Um, also based on how tax efficient they're going to be. But what I found is that people really appreciate that Yeah. by instead of, you know, judging them like, oh, you don't have 100 employees. We're not going to give you this turnkey gold package. I'm like, you know what? I don't know what you're going to be doing in five years, 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm a young guy. I'm 29 years old. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be the person that walked away from the next Apple mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> just because I look at him like, oh, you're not good enough for me. So, I feel that. so unfortunately for our industry, I think that's part of the reason we have a bad name is just the the stigma related when you hear financial advisor, right? What you were mm-hmm. saying, you're probably thinking Wolf of Wall Street, boiler room, stockbroker type yeah. of shit, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, without getting too off topic, but that's that's kind of yeah. uh, usually the stigma. So when I'm working with businesses, I'm helping them implement benefit packages. So helping them set up their retirement plans, helping them set up their health insurance and making sure it's optimized. Okay. 
when the second component of people that I work with is more along the wealth management or retirement distribution phase. Okay. So typically 55 to 60 years old, uh, within four to five years of retirement, have a pretty good nest egg in their 401k, Mm -hmm. maybe some other savings accounts, but a huge challenge. And a lot of this goes back to the U S education system of not really telling us how we should be planning. Yeah. Um, people are really scared that when they retire, they don't know how long their money's going to last. Right. Um, and it's a very realistic concern. We don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know what the market's going to do. So what our team does is we help figure out what is their baseline living cost of living that they need yeah. and what's realistic. And we'll help them replicate that by taking distributions from their 401ks, by putting money in different tax-efficient areas that is going to help offset Social Security taxes. We help them figure out what year they should take their Social Security based on what's going to be the most optimal. So really just giving them overall planning advice based Mm -hmm. on what the most important goals are. And then we're also the people that then take over those assets and manage it for them and make sure that they're managed appropriately and they're not taking too much risk or parking all their money under their mattress and not gaining anything. Yeah. Um, because that's what I find a lot when I'm working with these people is no one's ever really talked to them about how they should invest their money. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing a lot of people that have five, 600K, a couple million, and a lot of those big wirehouse, Wells Fargo, Merrill Lynch type firms, if they're seeing an account less than $3 million, they're like, well, that's not worth my time. Yeah. So, so that's kind of my... My uh, specialty or the area that I'm passionate about is kind of that half a million to 1.5 million of assets that most people are going to get really shitty service, get kicked to the side. We want to bring that world-class experience. And obviously, we're not going to be opposed to working with people that have $5 million. But (laughs) by becoming really that brand of like, hey, this is just a trustworthy dude and his team is legit and they really just want to help people. That's over time the goal of that it will end up becoming more of a magnet and attracting clients mm-hmm. instead of actively seeking them. Yeah, that that sounds. I mean, to me, being a social worker, like somebody to have like that much money in assets or that much in assets, and then like then not be able to, able to get help. That sounds crazy. You know, it, I mean, it happens every day, which is which is it's it's really weird to see, but. A lot of times people either are too embarrassed or too proud and they don't want to seek the professional advice and mm-hmm. they're kind of Googling stuff or Wikipedia and, yeah. you know, like there's there's a lot of things on the internet that aren't necessarily true. So <laughs> That is true. So like, so you're saying that you kind of, uh, you built your clientele basically on like the the people that have some money but not enough money for like a big corporation to, to even give a damn about. Exactly. Now they're going to pretend they will, but it's more of just getting in that you know, revolving door process of, oh yeah, get on board with our firm. And they're, you know, a bank is looking at as like, what kind of assets can I have here to do things with? Mm-hmm. For me, I'm more of a kind of a boutique firm, if you will, because I don't have a corporate boss that I have to answer to. I don't have a quota. I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of opens up the architecture for the amount of planning that we can do okay. and the kind of service. So, so really like you, you have the freedom to so like you're not meeting quotas that kind of gives you the freedom to do pretty much the extra mile exactly because i feel like a quota i mean correct me if i'm wrong but I feel like a quota like i like, like i see things like you know like police officers and other people that have quotas do you have to fill the quota so you might you might do a little something strange you know what i'm saying to get that quota met yep so i feel like when you, you know you don't have that you could pretty much 
like, like I feel like that uses like a better judgment. You're 100 percent correct. And the two things that I've learned in life in my sh- my short 29 years is you don't mess with anyone's family or their money. Yeah. So if I'm doing something that's not in their best interest with their livelihood, then I shouldn't be in the industry. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and we're seeing a lot of that. And luckily, um, it's a really interesting time right now. Uh, the average age of the financial advisor across the U.S. is 58. So there's going to be in the next decade a huge transfer of clientele to our generation. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people that are in their 20s doing this kind of work. Yeah. So that's where the challenge lies, but also the opportunity, which is what gets me up every morning. Yeah. Do you think it's, it's the stigma of it? I don't, I, you know what, I, I think about that every day. I think a lot of it is the stigma. Uh, the second piece is, I think, the social risk. I don't think people sometimes are willing to put themselves out there, not only to work on someone's behalf and put their nest egg in their yeah. hands, but also the social risk of, you know, just like anything else, being rejected. You know, if I yeah. were to um, if, if I were to call one of my friends or a referral and I was like, hey, you know, Chris had some good things to say about you and thought we might enjoy connecting, like, oh, nope, I'm set. You know, yeah. it's, it's just like everything else. And, you know, even though we have the best intention in mind, there's people that are always going to assume the worst, which they should. You know, it's just human <laughs> nature. So, yeah. Um, but that actually leads me to the third area of where I usually spend my time and energy. And this is more of a long-term type of, uh, I wouldn't call it play, but long-term strategy. Okay. But my goal is to bring, you know, anywhere from 25 to 30 families in per year into my system, kind of okay. into my client base. And by doing that, I'm really not assuming that they're going to do a ton of investing with me. But what the goal is, is I want to work with people that are forward thinking, that have a passion to become better, that are really interested in learning how to optimize their financial plan and really just working with them and and just really educating Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, this is where you are. Like I said before, this is where you want to be. Here's all the tools, tactics and strategies we can use. We'll utilize our software and our team to really put everything together and create a written plan. And you know, it, it really doesn't take me more than a few hours, and I don't actually charge for it, which mm-hmm. I think is a big value add that people are then more willing to engage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a risk for me of doing all this work. But what I found is if we're delivering world-class service and giving really good advice, people are intrigued, and they're going to want to engage more. Yeah. So when we're working with families, we just work with the basics and help them set up savings plans. Okay. So and it doesn't even have to be savings plans. A lot of times it's, okay we got to eliminate the student loan debt. we got to figure out a right way to amortize this credit card debt efficiently so you're not paying a lot of interest. Mm -hmm. And how are we going to balance that with maintaining an emergency fund and saving for college while simultaneously putting money for retirement? (laughs) And then, by the way, let's make sure your family's protected, so we need to make sure that your safety nets are properly in place and your Mm -hmm. basic insurances are where they need to be. Mm -hmm. And that's the fear I have. Like, you say all this stuff, and it's like... You're like, oh man, you. I don't know if you can sustain this, Chris. And I got like, fuck, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah. but I do. I know me and my wife. We we want to sit down and talk about it. Uh, I know our friend James. You know, uh, you work with him. Yep. And he, my know, newest hire, yeah, great guy. You know, and uh, I want to talk to him. I really do. I just gotta. I just gotta really just get over it and, and do it. Yeah, you know? it, it it's um, more than anything. It, it is educational. It's just we want you to leave those meetings knowing more than most average Americans just by spending an hour with us. Yeah, and uh, it it doesn't have to be that scary. Mm-hmm. It really, and just having someone there to it, it's kind of like when your parents tell you to do something, 
you don't listen, but if someone else tells you, you're like, oh, that's a really well, yeah, good idea. Sense, yeah. You know, it, it's it's sometimes a counseling session with the the spouses too by just forcing to have a neutral party of like, yeah. hey, this is open discussion, and I'm here as a professional, but I'm going to listen and hear mm-hmm. your concerns. So, those frankly are my most enjoyable meetings because there's not a lot of pressure, there's not a ton of money that needs to get transferred, and it's really low key, just getting people in the right trajectory. Yeah. I love walking away with, you know what, I'm going to start saving a couple hundred bucks a month into X, Y, and Z. I appreciate it, and then we'll get together in another year, see how it's going. Do we need to make adjustments? But it just slowly, if you know, every year even you add a hundred dollars a month to your savings. After a decade, you're saving a thousand bucks a month, and you don't even feel it. Yeah, that's true. I always think that, like, I always think that way. Like, man, if I just do that by this time, but the thing is, like, the implementation is like the is always the part that you know I just never really do it. But uh, so, so after your MBA. Did you go straight to the um, go to the finance, or did you like kind of like play around a little bit? You know, yeah, like uh, I'm gonna do this a little bit, or you know, like how'd that go? That's a really good question. So, like I was telling you, from a young age, I did want to follow my parents' footsteps and be entrepreneurial. Yeah, but you know, when you're in the real world, and then these jobs and these cushy salary offers start coming, it's a lot harder to turn them down. Yeah. So for me, I was kind of in a weird situation. I had an internship at Northwestern Mutual just over the summer as a college grad, and it was awesome. You know, I, I built out a couple of plans. I brought some clients on board, and uh, I was having a good time. I was like, this is great. I'm helping people for a living. I'm good at it. People seem to like me. And we work well together. I think this might be a good career long term. Yeah. But then, you know, summer is over. School starts again, and getting into work mode, on homework mode, and kind of take my mind out of business. Mm -hmm. And when it came time to graduate, there were three options on the table that I could have taken. Yeah. So number one, I got a, it's nothing huge, but I got a couple of offers to play football overseas. Okay. um, In Finland and Germany, you know, it's not like you're getting paid. It'd be more of, well, you're getting paid, but a couple grand and then, but you get all your travel paid for. So, you know, I was single at the time. It was cool. I could have done that. But in my mind, I was like, hey, I already... I'm kind of footballed out. (laughs) Going to Europe would be cool, but I've got this student loan debt and these degrees. I want to get to work. I want to start making something happen. So, But at the same time, I was like, you know, that might be a good option. Let's go to Europe. So Mm -hmm. that was one piece. The second, I got a job offer to do consulting at this company called um, Avanad. Okay. So it was a joint venture between Microsoft and Accenture. It was up in Seattle, and it was kind of a cushy gig. You know, I would have had to do a lot of traveling, but... It was a really solid base salary, and yeah. you know if you're going to be making six figures right out of out of the gate, uh, but yeah. you're basically you're sacrificing that for not being home, not really having a social life, working seventy hours a week. Mm-hmm. Again, I wasn't married and didn't have responsibility at the time. I could have done that, but there was just something about it that I was like, eh, I'd feel like I'd be working for the for the corporation, or I'd kind of be that pawn. But you know, I'm not going to lie, there were times I woke up in the middle of the night, went down to the kitchen table was reading the job offer. I was like, shit, I got to do this. Like, what yeah. am, what, why would I turn this down? Uh-huh. And then the third option, uh, Corey Mahaffey, our managing partner at Northwestern Mutual Portland offered me a full-time gig as well. But the gig is again, entrepreneurial. He's not giving me a base salary. He's saying, yeah. Hey, I'm giving you an opportunity to build your business under my firm's umbrella. And he's going to provide all the resources. He can provide a bunch of, um, you know, help on the side with, operations, financing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But he just wasn't going to pay me a base salary. He was going to say, yeah. hey, you're going to go out as a business owner and earn what you're worth. 
So it took me about five or six weeks to really wrap my head around it, but I decided and pulled the trigger. It was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to go full speed into this business. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I want to stay true to what I'm passionate about. And it turned out to be the best decision of my life. Um, well, sorry if my wife's listening, it was the second best decision, (laughs) but it, but in reality, it, um, it gave me that, that fire to wake up every day and say, Hey, I need to earn what I was offered at that base salary job or else I'm gonna be really pissed. Yeah. So in, you know, really the only, the first year was about the money. Yeah. Um, the second year when you're really building an enterprise, it becomes more about the people Mm -hmm. and the impact. Um, and again, I never, if you ask my 21 year old self, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going into business to make money and, you know, buy a nice car and whatnot. When you're older and you have kids, you're like, I just want to take a nap and uh, have a house. So, um, you know how it is. So, so it becomes more of the self-fulfillment and the satisfaction piece. And I'm looking back at all the people I've helped, even if it's a minimal scale, you know, some of the conversations I've had with people have been the most important of their life. You know, I've had, I've had clients pass away that I had implemented an insurance plan for them. So you know, 32 year old guy was driving out to the casino, um, got hit by a car head on. I had only met him four months ago, but we implemented a million dollar policy on his life and did some quick retirement planning. Um, the retirement planning didn't really mean shit at that point, but that life insurance was good. There's a million dollars tax free to his family. They paid off all their mortgages. She doesn't have to go to work. Um, we're managing that to make sure it lasts to pay the kids school. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, just by doing you know, preparing for the worst and the best. Yeah. Just having that peace of mind and being bulletproof. I mean, for me, that was the big kind of light bulb moment when I, you know, being there and seeing things like that happen. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. It, it's just a weird perspective changer. It makes you think about the most important things. Yeah. That's what's up. So, um, what are the steps to becoming a financial advisor or just, Really, financial advisor are like if you had to um, give some like a young person who just wanted to be an entrepreneur themselves, like they you know like they might not want to do financial advising, but they want to be an entrepreneur. If you can answer both those questions, um, and I'm glad you asked that question. So, what are the steps? Like, what are the steps you took, and what are the steps that you wish you would have took, and what are the steps don't take? <laughs> sure. So, the steps that you don't take is you don't want to come in and look at it as a sales job, right? Because at the end of the day, there has to be some kind of transaction, whether it's bringing a client on board, rolling over some kind of asset, setting up a savings plan, implementing insurance. Like, there's got to be some kind of, you know, service provided in order to to generate income. Yeah. Um, So, what I found is if you're coming in just thinking about that, you're going to neglect the whole entrepreneurial experience and you're going to look at it more of a sales job mm-hmm. instead of an asset, an enterprise that you are commanding. Yeah. So now that doesn't necessarily mean that when you come in, if you have a good sales experience, that that's going to be a bad thing because I feel like that helps you with your emotional intelligence when you're communicating with people and understanding how to not push people off or rub them the wrong way. But what I've really found, and again, this is really new to our industry, um, in the past, it's really been based on, okay, we're going to bring in people that have finance backgrounds and you know, are really dialed into the planning. And what I found is that the people that are sometimes the most intelligent or most book smart in regards to financial planning do not do a great job because they're also, it, you know, their personality means they're terrible at communicating mm. with people. You know, <laughs> yeah. They don't want to get out of their comfort zone. They don't want to go to networking events. Um, and then it's also the opposite sometimes. People that are really kind of going back to that first model really transactional, sales-oriented, they're not seeing a lot of success because they're getting in front of a shitload of people, but the work that they're delivering is not high quality. They don't establish that trust. 
So the environment that we have fostered um, in our office, at least in our downtown office, um, and it's spreading across our state, um, Polly and I and our managing partner, we want to create an environment where there are two different breeds of financial advisors that come in, and we're going to help develop them to really excel at what they do. Okay. And I like to use the analogy of... Um, you know, you don't judge a duck by how well it climbs a tree, yeah. right? Or so, so I yeah. just made up some bullshit. I'm looking at your sweatshirt, but <laughs> it's some kind of animal, right? You don't judge, yeah. you know, but Absolutely it's the same not. thing. You know, I, I don't want to bring someone in and give them one metric to compare themselves with and judge them as either good or bad. Mm-hmm. So what I want to come in and say, hey, you give me three months and you follow through with this plan, build these habits and study And we're going to figure out at the end of the day, number one, if this is the right fit, because after 90 days, you're going to know if you want to be an entrepreneur or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, most of the time it works out well, but after those 90 days, I'm going to really figure out, hey, are you more of a technician or a relationship manager? Or I kind of call it, hey, are you more of a connector? Are you more of a lifter? So for me, I'm looking for both. I'm looking for really solid technical people that love the experience of financial planning, that that like solving complex problems and delivering high-level solutions. And I'm also looking for people that are just magnets, that whoever you're talking with, they're going to love them, right? So thinking of James, right? James is more of that technician. He's dialed in. He's got everything going on up here. um, And he's going to create really good plans. His struggle is going to be getting out of his comfort zone and and Mm -hmm. reaching out to people. Um, So it really just depends. And, And figuring out where your strengths are, I'm then going to partner you with a team yeah. that has one of each. Okay. So my goal is to change the game of financial planning and make it more of a team sport instead of like these old dudes that are out there just solo yeah. slinging out these products or like selling <laughs> this or that. I want to bring in a team that has kind of that relationship manager, the connector and the lifter, the person that's going to be doing the high quality work because then you have both bases covered. You're able to network, you're able to get referrals and connect with new people, but at the same time deliver a world-class plan that people will be able to build their strengths off of. So so I'm glad you brought that up. That wasn't even on the script, but mm-hmm. that's one thing where we're just trying to change the way it is because the way it is isn't going to be sustainable. Yeah, okay. And the way it is is like, uh, how like you said, it's some old dudes slinging products just trying to really get as much as they can get out of it. Exactly. Now, again, I feel bad. I mean, there's obviously there's going to be good, great advisors out there that are older, you know, but but again, it's the stereotype and just statistics of, you know, that's where we are. Yeah. So I'm really trying to take it away from like a solo, it's all me, I'm the man, like to where, hey, you know what? I've got a phenomenal team Mm -hmm. that we're going to partner with because at the end of the day, when things are both going good and bad in finances, knowing you have a team helping there to support you, it feels a lot better than having one person. Okay. You know, especially if like a colossal downturn in the market happens and I'm in Mexico taking my one vacation of the year, I'm going to get all these phone calls. Like clients aren't going to like that. Yeah. You know, I work my ass off. I deserve a vacation, but if I don't have someone playing back up there that really feels like <coughs> I'm preparing for them and, and have their best interests in mind, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. So okay. for me, I try and leverage every single piece that I can, which goes back to being a good entrepreneur. Yeah. All right. So the, the person on the outside looking in might look at you and be like, this guy is killing it. He he can't ever take a loss. Do you take losses in this field? Oh, man. I catch so many L's, man. I, every day. <laughs> no, every day. I mean, um, in every every single business owner, what I've found just by learning from the people I work with, but even being in that niche of working with entrepreneurs on their own planning, 
that's kind of a side bonus. They're giving me some of this advice and sharing insights with me. It, it sucks and it sounds really cliche, but you learn best from the losses. Yeah. Um, you know, frankly, I, I had a really good start. I had a kind of an unprecedented start in this business mm-hmm. in regards to success out of the gate. But eventually, you know, you're always, I got over my skis and things started to happen that I wasn't paying attention to. And I learned a lot of tough lessons, um, you know, in the big picture. And, you know, going back to it, as an entrepreneur, you have to, you can't really have a bad day, mm-hmm. right? There's always going to be shit popping up. There's always going to be fires to put out. And what I found is it's, it's not necessarily the work ethic or the drive that takes people out of business and kills their entrepreneurial spirit. It's their focus. Yeah. And you have to go into the day, I call it the key three, and say, hey, this is what my day looks like. I'm going to bet my life savings that the day is not going to end up like this because something's going to cancel, something's going to pop up. But if I can go to bed knowing that the key three action items that I needed to get done got done and I made time for it, didn't let any of the bullshit slip and, and get into my head and derail me, and I can consistently do that five days a week, mm-hmm. then it's, it's going to be a successful business. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But if I will let those distractions or just derail me and lose focus, get emotional, have an emotional reaction to something and, you know, mm. play the victim, yeah. you know, we've all been there. It's kind of like sports, right? Mm-hmm. Um, same thing. It, it's, it's not going to be sustainable. You're going to go home feeling like shit because uh, you didn't do what you can control. So that's for me is the key three. You want to make sure it's something that you can control. Okay. Um, so that way, like, you know, if it's, hey, I'm making this many calls to my clients or, I'm going to spend this amount of time researching this product or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's for me the, I get losses every day, right? Things, things don't necessarily ever happen the way that they're supposed to. But if you're aligning your top priorities with those daily goals, it's going to work itself out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you say key three, do you mean like, it's like, is it like a general key three or like your own key? Like, so like if I did my own thing, like it would be my own key three. Yeah, so every okay. so let me tell you a little bit about how I start my day because okay. that again this is something I've only really implemented the last year or so, um, and this is something my mentor, my business coach Corey, and business partner has been on my ass about. Um, <laughs> but I'm a I'm like a type A. I want to get shit done and just get rolling. So I would like get out of bed, go to the gym, just start running, man. I'd be going to this meeting, saying hi to this person, fist bumping this person, high five that person, then we're off and running. Oh. <laughs> You just painted like a very like corporate picture in my mind. Like I, I see you walking into the building, high five and fist bumping us. Power suit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. No, that was me. I mean that that is it. And I'm just trying to get my team pumped up. I'm trying to get my staff pumped up. That's what's um, up. That's what's up. You know, and my clients too. I love yeah. calling my clients out of blue. Like you hope you have a good day, man. Like crush it today, or you know, just kind of have some energy and get get things going. Mm-hmm. But I found is that was not a good way for me to stay focused. Mm-hmm. And so what I do now, I block out an hour every single day, sometimes an hour and a half, where I shut my door. And this is usually in the office. Sometimes it's not. But people know not to distract me. I turn my phone off and I work on basically my key three okay. and figure out, okay, today, what are the three? Th- so I just subjectively sit down and look at my calendar make sure that I didn't need to do anything that's lingering from yesterday, get into a good headspace, say, okay, what is, what am I going to go home today feeling good about? What is controllable in my schedule that I can make happen that no matter what happens to anything else, I'm going to feel good and feel like I didn't blow it. Yeah. 
So some day, it depends on what day. If it's like a really management-focused day where I'm doing a lot of training or a lot of development of my team, then it'll be something based on that. If it's a day where I'm out with my clients or meeting new clients, it'll be based on that. Um, so today, for example, um, I'll share with you my key three. Number one, um, this is something that was lingering, but I've I've got uh, to take my car in to get serviced. <laughs> so like it's been on my mind and um, all over the place, and I'm like, okay, I got to get that scheduled because. I go home, I'm getting these emails, and I'm not taking care of my car, I feel like crap. So I was like, today's the day. Mm-hmm. Boom, I got it done. So the first thing I did after my focus time is I called, made that call, was out of the way, done, right? Okay. Yeah. So again, I don't necessarily recommend having like non-income generating activities always be the key three. Yeah. Um, the second one was to finalize the agenda for the planning day that I'm putting on on Friday or that I'm facilitating. Okay. So it's actually great. We got a, a guest speaker. We got Joey Harrington coming in, talking to our team. Tied. Throwback to the Ducks. Yeah. Uh, we've got some other speakers. We're, we have some accountants coming in, helping people set up their business plans for 2019. It's going to be a great day. Um, but yeah, there were a couple loose ends we needed to tie up and you know we're getting close. So that was one of those things where like, we're getting that done. Okay. Um, so there's plenty of distractions that came up. I could have kicked that. That was done. And then I needed to make 20 calls. I was like, I need to be active. I haven't done a great job of reaching out to people. So I had no rules. I was like, you need to pick up the phone and call 20 people just to say hello or to set up a meeting or just kind of make people know that I'm present and thinking about them. Yeah. So I sat down and made my list and I was like going through Facebook, going through my phone. I was like, who are people I'm thinking about today? Who are people that might like a random, hey, how's it going? Hope you have a good day or a happy birthday. So you know, again, I know I'm getting way too deep into oh, it. Oh, no, man. We love that. Go ahead. Go ahead. But it's the little things like that that I, you know, I was not thinking about and I was more reacting. So I still got plenty of work to do, but I'm really trying to just control my day mm-hmm. and get those things done first. Okay. So I got those things done by noon. Now I knew I was meeting with my executive coach out here in Lake Oswego and then having the, the podcast with you out here in West Lynn. So I'm out in the suburbs today. I was like, it's a good day. I've got nothing on my mind. Tight. Um, because I did everything I need to do today. So your key three changes every day. Every single day. You got to do okay. See, that's. But it takes energy to to put it on the list, right? Yeah, and then to follow through. Like I know getting getting the car service is a pain in the ass, especially for me because it's like there's always like, oh well, you got to get this fixed. Like fuck, I wasn't expecting that, you know, saying that kind of shit, or just sitting where sitting around waiting or something like that. So I, I definitely get that. Well, that's good. I mean, that's the key three. That's if you listen, listen key three. Key, it could be key five. It could be key something. Just see. So that's. I'm glad you said that because for me, being the overachiever, exact did the exact same thing. So when, when my mentor said, "Hey, you should have a key three, I was like, "I'm gonna do a key five because I'm the man, right? Or yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> like I, I, I got this." And it really, there's something about the number three that's it's just more satisfying, more realistic. It just makes the impact because there's only thirds. You know, the, when you get something knocked out, that feeling. I was noticing when I first started off with the five, I was not going home getting all five done. Um, mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean you have five things on your list, but you want to have the, I would recommend the three. Yeah. Um, sure. So by personal experience, but I really yeah. like the way you think because <laughs> yeah. I did the same thing. Yeah. Some people, you know, some people, yeah. Some people five may make more sense, but I do think I do agree with like, you know, like me being a social worker, when you sit down and you set goals with you, you, you know, with your clients, you got to make sure your goals are realistic. You know what I'm saying? So I, I get that. You got to make sure you you know yourself. Is five going to be too much? Is five going to overwhelm you? Then if it is, it's kind of being a little like counterproductive. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe if I didn't have kids, I'd have a five. Yeah. Because you know, <laughs> yeah, kids will take up <laughs> two of those uh, key 
key things. Yep. Um, so you're educated, right? Do you need to be educated to be a financial advisor? Like, is that a requirement? Like, say, like I know, I, like I have a master in social work, but if I was like, man, I ain't, I'm not feeling that. I want to apply to be a financial advisor. Is that possible? It depends. Okay. So it depends on what firm you work for and who your mentor is. Okay. So for me, and I don't know if it's the kind of the way I approach the business and see that I want to make a colossal shift in the way the industry is ran. Mm-hmm. I'm loving. I want as much diversity as possible on my team. Yeah. I want people with different education backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, different geographic backgrounds. Um, I, I feel like if I can surround myself and have an expert in all of these different areas, it's going to be a much better advantage that I can plug into those people than just kind of the typical, hey, I've got a four-year finance degree and I'm just out of college. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm looking at anyone that has any kind of uh, – professional experience with sales like we talked about that's always a good start because i know they're at least going to be hard workers and they're going to have a sense of urgency so they're going to make stuff happen Mm -hmm. right the financial plan is not going to be any good if it's just sitting under your mattress yeah um the the second piece that i always look for honestly there are certain licenses that you can't get or certain designations you can't get without certain degrees mm-hmm. but you know i have i have some of my best employees and some of the best hires i've made haven't even finished college yeah. um and i have taught them things or our firm has taught them things that is frankly much more valuable to know than what a college is going to teach based on what they're trying to accomplish now again i'm not saying i'm smarter than the university but i'm definitely going to teach people how to manage their personal finances and understand the tax implications of their investments and things like that better yeah. than a you know a four-year degree would so I've been really open-minded. I'm glad I have been because some of the best people I brought on would not have been hired somewhere else, but I made that connection. Okay. That's what's up. Um, what does investing in yourself look like, like in, in your current role? Perfect. So elaborate a little bit because there's when, I, when you say invest in yourself, so, there's a few things I think of. Okay. So I remember we were at that bachelor store party, and you said that you had bought season tickets and blazers. Yep. But I remember one of your reasons was like, man, I could close a lot of deals with these tickets. And I was thinking like, I don't know how that works, but my mind doesn't work that way. So explain like how something like, so like a purchase like that, how does that work with like business for you? Sure. So for me, it's twofold. So number one, I want to make sure that anything I'm doing with business to try and generate new clients or new ideas it needs to be a fit. It needs to be something that I'm passionate about. So me, huge Blazer fan, Jailblazers, that's when I really fell in love with them, Rasheed Wallace days, right? Um, But I grew up, you know, with drinking out of the Dairy Queen glasses. (laughs) Like, we've all been there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was like, okay, I love the Blazers. Is there a way that I can use this in my business? So I was like, okay, I also like going to games. Most people that I like to relate to like going to games as well. This could be a really good opportunity to in a comfortable, safe, fun setting to really get to know someone. Okay. So some people that might be a little bit skeptical of um, maybe coming into the office for a meeting, maybe I got referred to them or maybe they came across my card and they're like, eh, I don't know if I'm comfortable yet. It's a good way for me to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to the Blazers game next week and I've got two seats open. Why don't you come hang out with me and my business home, my business partner or why don't we just go hang out at the Blazer game? We can not even necessarily talk business, see if it might be, am I even someone you'd want to hang out with? And we got pretty good seats, so I wanted a little bit of a wow factor, so we're right by the visitor's bench. We get to give high fives to all the visitor players. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I wanted to make it some kind of an experience. Yeah. Um, so, but at the same time, I'm also not using all of those tickets for clients. I'm also taking my family. So it's, you know, happy family, happy clients. Yeah. And so that's kind of the thought is like, hey, if I can really, the, the break even, if I can generate five or six new clients and new relationships out of the full season, that's, the thing just paid for itself. Pretty, I had a great yeah. time. These people think I'm legit because yeah. their advisor's <laughs> taking them to these baller seats. Yeah. And it's just, it kind of perpetuates, right? Yeah. Instead of me being scared and saying, well, what if no one wants to show up? Or what if you can't have that stuff, right? Or what if no one wants to hang out with me? What if I suck? Like all the, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we, we always have those mm-hmm. voices. But um, that's the same reason I joined the Oregon Golf Club. I, mm. I was a shitty golfer. I still am. I'm yeah. a, I'm like a little bit below mediocre at this point, but Ooh, a little bit below a little. Bit. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I enjoy it, but, um, that's been a really cool way to say, Hey, you know what? Why don't we hang out on the golf course? Mm-hmm. And I know that's kind of cliche. You know, I've seen all these Edward Jones commercials making fun <laughs> of the financial guy golfing, but yeah. you know, we're in Oregon and when it's sunny out and people want to walk around, I mean, it's a really good way to relieve stress get out of the office get in nature and, and really build good connections with people yeah um so that for me has been awesome too it's it's forced me to take my family out more and you know utilize the membership so my son's out here tiger jr hopefully is yeah. doing his thing he might pay for it exactly so, pay you back. <laughs> so that's the way i look at it is like what's the worst that could happen if none of this comes to fruition i became a better golfer and you know hung out with some people or Maybe no one ever wants to do any business with me after taking the Blazer games, but they're always going to remember down the road, hey, you know what, Mark Meek, shit, I do need to get some of this planning done now. He took me to the Blazer game, good dude, I'm going to call him. So yeah. so it's really about thinking in the long term for me over the short term. So I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice you know, some of the short term luxury items <coughs> for that. Okay. Now, it might look on paper like, shit, Mark's, Mark's balling out. He's got the golf club membership, and he's got these Blazer tickets. But it's like, no, those are strategic yeah. business purchases, and, and that's why you know there's other things we don't do that people don't see. Mm-hmm. I like that. So you got to sacrifice. That's what's up. I mean, <laughs> the golf club and the Blazer tickets, is that sacrificing? Sign me up. Now, one <laughs> thing that's not – you can't sacrifice a wardrobe. you gotta, you got to invest yeah, in the good okay. look, right? You, yeah. No one wants to work with a financial guy that doesn't iron their shit or yeah. has, like, you know, loose suits. You got to – that's the one thing that where I'll say, hey, you get, you got to be a little bit sharper than most. Yeah, I like That'll that. That'll stand out. Well, I mean, I feel like – it was, was, I feel like that's 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 a good point, you know, because if I was talking to a financial advisor and he yeah he wasn't looking right, I'm like, man, how are you gonna tell me about finances? I'm dressing better than you. Exactly right. <laughs> I feel that. Okay, so um, I noticed that you know, like I I uh, I have seen your name in like sponsorships or certain like events. You know, I know my guy Mike Cage. He had the barber battle. You know Mike? Yeah, yeah I'm not nice. Mike. I'm All right, back with, with him. Uh, we can go way back. Um, SEI. You do some work with them. Uh, I can tell you at the gala. You know, I got a free ticket for my brother. He works there. Nice. But, um, how important is the philanthropy part of, like, your organization? I think it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for me personally, that's just kind of how I grew up. Like, really, you know, my parents made me really appreciate what we had. And, you know, my parents definitely had a different background than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I feel pretty privileged to grow up the way I did and, you know, go to good schools. And, you know, so part of me... I want to make sure that 
you know, I look at kind of just taking a step back. I looking at money and income is kind of like a magnifier. Mm-hmm. You know how some people look at it and say, "Hey, that guy's just a rich asshole." Yeah. Like I know a lot of rich, nice people too. Yeah. You know, and again, I'm not saying I'm rich yet, but um, <laughs> that's the hope. Yeah. But, but for me, even I feel like a need to give back more, and it's honestly less my money, but more my time and effort. Okay. So like going back to SEI, mm-hmm. um, I love that organization. Just I didn't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. And through Rob and other people, I got involved in art and Patricia Williams. That's yeah, my guy. Yeah, yeah. I need a haircut, by the way. Yeah. Tell, tell them to schedule me. <laughs> um, but it's been awesome just to see like interacting with some of the kids, some of the you know, the internship opportunities. We're going to be hopefully hiring four or five people from SEI and bringing them into the firm. And my hope is that they get professional experience. They learn how to operate in a corporate environment. Um, the hope is that when they're done with college, they might come back and work for us. So, so for me, you know, I think when it depends on the, the money and, you know, you have to have some money throw down to get skin in the game and sponsorship, Mm -hmm. but I don't ever want to be the person that just writes the check, um, just to make my estate plan look good and save taxes. And everyone thinks I'm nice when I'm really just doing everyone else a favor and Mm -hmm. doing myself a favor. Um, but yeah, for me, I mean, I really want to be reaching, people and communities that don't have access to the knowledge and information that I have. And instead of kind of going that one by one route of it, again, super cliche, but teach a man how to fish, right? Instead mm-hmm. of give him a fish, that whole analogy, yeah. that's the way I look at my knowledge that I have is like, I don't want people to keep this to themselves. I need you to, when I tell you this information, you need to tell your friends and family. I don't even care if they work with me, but you need to help them get this shit lined up. Yeah. So for me, that's, um, you know, whether I'm huge in youth sports, that's that's a big one too. Mm-hmm. I feel like this generation soft growing up, right? We gotta we gotta teach them about hard work and adversity, and yeah. you know, so little things like that. It takes my mind off the business. It makes me feel good about leveraging my position to do some good. Um, so yeah, for me, it's more fun, but I think it's really important because number one, I'd burn out, but number two, it's a good way for people to really get the the, the real me, not like the social media branding marketing guy yeah. but like the dude that'll show up and you know help paint a house and you know mm-hmm. take a kid out that to to have some, some mentoring just because he doesn't have any good influences yeah i feel that um so uh, i'm not gonna lie if you listen to my main podcast hip-hop social worker i'm very critical of capitalism i think that um i think that a lot of problems could be based on a, a aspect of it. Now, not like um, because I feel like you know, like what you do, or like what real estate people do, you got to have money to kind of like you know deal with those. You, you, you know, you know, so you got to have money, to kind of be, you want know, to play that game. But like when I see things like you know, like the costs keep getting raised, but um, wages aren't getting raised. You know, what I'm saying um, I feel like. I feel like that's like the problem I have. You know, what I'm saying like if as a landlord, he keeps raising the rent, but you know, but then so like he prices people out. I grew up in North Portland, right, and the the neighborhood is different now, like from when I was there. You know, and I feel like they they robbed us of culture. You feel what I'm saying? I get it. You know, so um, but sitting there talking to you, and I feel like if there was if there were more you. That like cared about giving back, I probably wouldn't hate it so much. Now I do like capitalism and the fact that 
I can have a podcast in my basement <laughs> and the right yeah. ears can hear it and I can fucking, you know what I'm saying, get all my needs met from, you know, because I, I can't be an all-around hater because, you know, I bought a house. I, I bought into the system. So, like, it's not, I, I, I can't hate it that much. Yeah, you got that natural provision for your family. You, you know what I'm saying? In, yeah. But it's like, so, basically what I'm trying to get at is like, like, um, you know, you being a capitalist and everything. Is it wrong for me to like feel that way? Not at all. And and so this is where I'm going to stay out of all the theory because, again, I'm a nerd. So I could talk about capitalism yeah. and, you know, all of these different governmental structures and economic Keynesian mm-hmm. versus classical all day. So to give you a straight answer, I don't think what we have going on in the U.S. right now is capitalism. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a form of crony capitalism where... It, these special interest groups, and again, I don't want to sound like Fox News or CNN, yeah. <laughs> but then use all those buzzwords. But, yeah. um, but what we have the opportunity is not uh, we're not, it's not true capitalism. Okay, um, because these people that have the power and have the money, and and I I don't mean like millions, I mean like multi millions. You know, like because mm. everyone thinks of a millionaire and thinks they're rich. Mm. Shit, millionaires yeah. nothing. One nowadays. bad day. <laughs> yeah, one bad day is a wrap. So I'm talking about the people that have the influence that could make dramatic shifts. They don't. And it's kind of the old money philosophy and and a lot of it, it, just learning more about politics with my dad. Again, he was not a politician. So it's funny seeing him go through a lot of this stuff. He's like, man, this is not what I was expecting. But but I I think there's hope. You know, I don't think what we're doing right now is sustainable. Um, But I also don't think we need to move towards the socialist model either. We Mm -hmm. need to really go back to our fundamentals and as the United States, but we need to be inclusive mm-hmm. because if we had the same kind of economy from the 1900s, but included all classes of individuals from an economic standpoint, whatever race or ethnicity they're part of and had everyone working together, it's just like we could treat the U.S. just like a corporation, mm-hmm. right? Where that's like, again, I'm not going to get into politics, but the, <laughs> the one thing that Trump says that is right is that, I mean, the U.S. is the greatest country in the world from an open architecture standpoint, because mm-hmm. we could do whatever we want. We're just, we have shitty leaders, mm-hmm. right? Especially, I mean, he's not doing anyone any favors, <laughs> right? Um, but that, that he, I mean, he brings up a good point, right? We just need to get the people that are in charge to get people involved. Mm-hmm. And, and to, it has to start at home, right? It has to start here. And, and we'd have to get the support from the people that actually have the influence and the money. Yeah. Could you ever have too much money? Yes. I think, well... You know what? Like I think it's going back to the money as a magnifier, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't think I don't ever think, frankly, that you can have too much money, but I think you have to do the right things with it, and you have to make it impactful. Because okay. if you use it for good things, I mean, I, th- I think of a guy like Paul Allen, right? Or think of a guy like uh, you know, actually, Paul Allen's a good one. Or, you know, rest in peace. But mm. that guy made so much money, but everyone loved him, yeah. right? He he had his you know estate problems and whatnot and had way too much money that the federal government has taken but he's done so much good that no one looks at him as like an evil bastard right yeah now trump let's let's pick on him right <laughs> the complete opposite right mm-hmm. super successful but he decides to use his influence and power and money for um, things that sometimes people don't agree with and you know he could probably be using them in a better way so i mean those are two extremes but that's a tough question. That's a loaded question. I personally don't Definitely. ever think I could have too much money because I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to reinvest it in my community and mm-hmm. the people around me. Um, you know, because that's that's really where I get my satisfaction is especially bringing people in the business. And honestly, I hope that this podcast inspires some people to reach out to me 
Um, even if they don't want to be an advisor, we have roles. You know, I, I want to kind of be that premier firm that helps people become professional and learn about the industry mm-hmm. um, and just partner with people. Like for me, honestly, I'm looking, I'm looking for a lot of females to come into the industry. It's a really male dominated industry and hundred percent honest. It's a really white male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to spice it up a little bit. Oh man, I'm trying to spice up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like ideally it would be half, you know, minorities, half people that maybe even some immigrants that have not been here mm-hmm. that can give, like, cause there's a lot of markets that have not been tapped into. Yeah. Um, and because in a lot of it's just because there's not the knowledge there and there's no one doing what we're doing and taking the lead and going into those markets. So that's why for me, that's why I love the opportunity in Portland. I want to get people from each of these communities that are underserved and get four or five catalysts that go in there and just make a huge impact because mm. we have the tools to do it. We just need yeah. the people. That's what's up. Yeah. Um, I do think um, you're, you're right. Like, I don't think I don't think you have too much money, but the wrong person with too much money could could be a bad thing exactly right. now i'm pretty low-key i don't yeah. you know i i just uh yeah they, we enjoy some of the finer things in life yeah. right so <laughs> that's that's really at the end of the day as long as that the green stuff's coming in man. yeah there you go. i feel that um so i'm gonna keep it 100 real with you i didn't have time to prepare for this interview i really? knew i knew it was happening but i never had i didn't have time to sit down and like map out my question every question that i asked you was like straight from the straight from the head so i appreciate you making this what it is you know what i'm saying thank you i know um if if i'm not prepared and somebody's not a talker it gets a little awkward <laughs> hey i have awkward conversations for a living yeah. and make them not awkward yes <laughs> i love i love that i feel like anytime you're talking with somebody about some money it's gonna be awkward you know until you get uncomfortable like oh yeah okay i can call you up you know for this so um one last piece of advice to give an entrepreneur out there or just pep talk, piece of advice, um, pitfalls to avoid, whatever. Just go ahead, take a little few, take take, uh, take some time and. Perfect. Yeah. So, so I'd say number one is the key three. You know, we don't need to dig into that again, but <laughs> I would encourage everyone, just in any part of their day, you know, encourage you to wake up, take ten minutes of your life, go away from everyone, and turn your phone off. Look at your schedule and just get a piece of paper, get your phone, and just say what today is another day. What do I want to accomplish? Is it a weekend? Because I'll do this with my family. Like I'll sit down, and like okay, I'm taking Owen golfing, gonna take teach him how to shoot free throws. Like you know, I I try and replicate this every day. Sundays I take off, um, but that's that would be my advice for everyone. You don't need to be an entrepreneur to to implement that. But people, if you can stay consistent with that for a long time, and I'd say more than two weeks, you'll be astounded at the results you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna start becoming addicted to efficiency. Uh, so that's number one. Number two. I don't know if anyone is a big reader here. I'm, I hate reading, but I love it at the same time. So a lot of times I listen to it in mm-hmm. the car or when I'm walking. I would recommend everyone downloads. And I will, you know what? I will send everyone, if, if they get in touch with me and they really want to get this link, I will send them this book because that's how ridiculously important I think it is through mm-hmm. Audible. Um, so hold me to that. I will. I'm going to add your contact info in the in the description of the episode. Perfect. But it's called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And it doesn't. it's not even a business book. It's just life. It talks about how to be successful. And really, it's about the choices you're making on a daily basis that determines your outcomes over the big picture instead of like it's kind of the standard over feeling. So I don't want to ruin the book, but that was a game changer for me. It's helped with everything, with my health, with my finances, with my business. 
Um, so that's that's a huge recommendation for everyone to read, um, and I'll I'll send you that book too. Okay. But the third, when this is specific advice to the entrepreneur, you want to make sure that when things happen in your organization that are good, you need to give all the credit away to your team. When shit happens that's not good, you need to take the blame. So what I see all the time is kind of like the Ari Golds of the world and entrepreneurs that are just assholes to their staff and their employees. Yeah, Everyone needs to remember that as an entrepreneur, your most important clients aren't the people that are transacting your business. They're the people that are keeping your business going. They're the people that are investing their time, sweat, blood, and tears into you. So I think that's something when I'm seeing entrepreneurs, they lose sight of that sometimes and create a poor culture in their organization and it becomes an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. So it's as simple as that kind of, you know, big firm, little me. You know, so I'm trying to implement that right now. When things go really well, I step back and congratulate everyone that was involved. And when shit hits the fan, I'm the first to fall on my sword. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And what I found is a lot of my employees enjoy that. But I used to not be that way. I used to be more of an asshole. Yeah. So <laughs> I learned that one the hard way. Okay. That's what's up. Well, I appreciate you sitting down. Um, hopefully, you know... Um People that are listening, we can get some more young people, more minorities, more uh, women your way. So you can have your vision, you know, more immigrants, you know, so we can, uh, yeah, so we can, um, so we can get some uh, perspectives in this field. Yeah. Because if we don't have perspectives, then I feel like everybody's going to think everybody's doing well, you know, like everybody's doing what, like what, like why should we care about that? Everybody has money, right? <laughs> you know, so I appreciate you, man. Yep. And, uh, I appreciate you spreading the word. I, I, again, I mean every word that I said, I would be open to interviewing anyone and just okay. hanging out, inviting them to our office downtown, having a conversation. Um, and again, especially females and minorities right now, the opportunity is unreal. Um, and you just need to, to, harness that uh, opportunity and make it happen all right and i'd be happy to partner with someone nice well that's all i appreciate you thank you